Well, this morning we are beginning a new study in the book of Matthew, and I am quite excited about this, in part because I think the book of Matthew is wonderful, and in part because we just finished Lamentations, and so anything sounds wonderful after finishing Lamentations. Uh, but, But in the book of Matthew, listen to this start. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That is a big, bold start. But before we jump in, I want to ask the kids here a question. Kids, when it says Jesus Christ, do you know what Christ means? You know what Christ means? Christ means anointed one, anointed one. Sometimes in the, in the Old Testament, they would call it Messiah, and in the New Testament, they would call it Christ, and they would say, this is the anointed one. They would take oil or water or something, and they would, would pour it on this person, and they would say, this person is anointed. We're putting this on them, but they would do that for a special reason. They would, take, they would take that oil, and they would put it on somebody, and they would do that not just because they liked pouring oil on people, but because this was what marked them as a special, significant person. They would use this for a king or a priest or sometimes a prophet. They would mark it and they would say, this person has been chosen by God. This is the special person that God has picked, that God has chosen. And so when we talk about Jesus the Christ, or Jesus Christ, we're talking about Jesus who has been anointed and chosen by God. So it became sort of a, a, a way of a quick way of saying that's God's chosen person. That's, that's the chosen one. It had less to do with the oil itself or with the, with the anointing process itself and more to do with, with um, that's God's chosen person. And so kids, I, I have a, a question. I, I need a volunteer. Can I get a volunteer? Okay, okay, now, I'm going to pick you because you're the one with your hand up. But because I've picked you, I've chosen you for a very special job, okay? Are you ready? I need you because we're going to be looking at Jesus' family pretty quick here. And so what I need is I need either a picture or maybe you can use uh, those Chanel sticks or craft stick or something, but to, to make a picture of Abraham, okay? So sometimes we talk about him as Father Abraham. So if you can do a picture for me of Father Abraham, and then you can just raise your hand when it's done, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to show it to everybody, okay? So whenever it's done, you just raise your hand, and then I'll, I'll take it and I'll show it. Does that sound okay? Okay, so that's, that's what anointed means, Anointed is, is this chosen person, someone who has a special job, who is selected for something. And that's what we have here. Matthew is writing, and he begins this story. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Literally, this is the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. 
This is where the Christ, the chosen one of God, came from. This is the story of Jesus. And sometimes when we get to a book like the book of Matthew and you open it up and you go, you started with a genealogy? Could I think of a more boring way to start anything? If you guys had walked in this morning and I stood up and said, okay, and so we are going to begin this service and I am going to tell you about my lineage. I am Travis, the son of Calvin, the son of Ritz, the son of Cornelius. And you would say, why? Why are we doing this? But when, but when Matthew starts off, he gives us just a little bit of a peek before we get into the genealogy proper. He says, this is the book of the Genesis of Jesus the Christ, the chosen one of God, who is the son of David, who was the son of Abraham. And just by that little bit, in that one verse, he sets up the whole thing. Because anybody who knows anything about the Old Testament goes, oh, I know who David is. I know who David is. David is the king. And I know who Abraham is. Abraham is, is the one that God chose and said, I am going to make my covenant with you. In fact, in fact, we might consider this, as we look at this genealogy of Jesus, we might consider this to be like the Cliff's Notes version or the Reader's Digest version of the Old Testament. It's just all of these little hints, all of these little reminders about what has happened that has gotten us up to this point. And so he begins with Abraham. And so we want to start with Abraham and say, okay, why was Abraham important? And there are many, many passages we could go to in the book of Genesis to talk about why Abraham is important, but I want to go to this one in Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 4. Behold, my covenant with, is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And then he goes on in verse 8 to say, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. But these verses, verses 6 and 7, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. 
I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant so that I will be God to you and to your offspring after you. This was the covenant of Abraham, uh, the covenant of God with Abraham. I'm going to be your God, he says. Me, the one who created the universe, I am going to be your God. There aren't any other gods. And in order to demonstrate how great of a God I am, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to take you, and I am going to multiply you, and I'm going to make you the father of so many people. And I'm going to give you this really awesome land in the land of Canaan. And this will be your place to dwell because it's my place for you to dwell. And I will be your God. And this is my covenant. This is my deep promise to you and to your son and to his son and to all of the offspring from generation to generation for forever. Here's my covenant with you. So it's a little bit like it's a little bit like an egg race. You know the egg and spoon race? Where you have somebody that starts with it and they have the egg on the spoon and they're doing one of these kind of things. And then they have to pass it off to somebody else and then that person takes the egg in their spoon and they have to go like this and they have to not drop it. And then hand it to the next person. So this genealogy then, when we start with Abraham and we go on from there, is a little bit like that. We've got this promise. We've got this promise from God that we are going to hand off from generation to generation. And here's the challenge with that. Abraham didn't have any kids. God, that's a pretty great promise. You're going to make me the father of a multitude? How about just once, God? Just once. Could I be a father one time? Oh, Abraham. Man, open your eyes. Look at the stars. Look at the sand. That's how many kids you're going to have. Look at all the grains of the sand. Can you count, count those? From generation to generation, there's going to be so many of them. Can you see the stars of the sky? You've got the picture? Awesome. Okay, so here's we've got Abraham. And he's going to be the father. He's going to be the father. And God's going, I am going to multiply you, but... Abraham's going, who am I going to pass this promise on to, God? My servant's kid? I haven't got any kids. Abraham then became the father of Isaac, the son of the promise. It was just one. It was just one. But it was the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise, the covenant to Abraham from God. 
that one day they would have this as a nation, that they would rule in this place as a nation, and there would be a king over them. Kings would come from him. And he would be their God, and them as a nation would be his people. This family nation would be his people, and it begins just with this one Isaac. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And as you watch this egg, this promise, get passed back and forth from generation to generation, you go, ooh, oh, that was close. That was close. We almost dropped it. We almost didn't make it there. As you watch, as you watch it go from Abraham to Isaac, and okay, and then Isaac has two sons. We've got Esau and Jacob, and we're doing okay. And, but then there's some squabbles between Esau and Jacob. And Jacob's supposed to be the promised one, but Esau is sort of the oldest one. And so how's that going to work? How are we going to work this out? And then Jacob kind of runs away because they have this falling out. And so now Jacob's not even in the land anymore. And how are we going to do all this? This isn't going to work. Jacob, that deceiver. But then he ends up coming back. He reconciles with Esau. They do okay. And Jacob has 12 sons. And you start going, okay, 12 sons. Now we're getting somewhere. That can be the start of a nation. That can be the start of a great multitude. 12 sons. This is, this is all right. And we see the promise as, as the... the this 12 sons, the nation of Israel, Jacob gets his name changed to Israel, and then they have to leave because of a famine. So they were in the land, but then they leave and they go to Egypt because of the famine. And you go, oh, wait, but you're, you guys, hello, guys, you're supposed to be over here. This is where the promise is supposed to be. Where are you going? Why are you down in Egypt? Well, pretty, things are pretty good down here in Egypt. But there's some stuff going on. And so the oldest brother, he makes some mistakes, and God goes, no, the, the, the promise isn't going to go through him. And then the next one, no, not, not through him. And we get down to Judah, and okay, yeah, the promise will go through Judah. But Judah's son dies. And how are we going to pass this promise on? And so as you're going through, and normally you would just have the names of the fathers as we go down. Now we have by, that Judah was the father of Perez, but he was the father of Perez by Tamar. Why do we include Tamar? Because without Tamar, you get no Perez. Because Judah was making a big mistake and this egg was not, this promise was not going to get passed on except that Tamar, because of her faithfulness, steps in and goes, no, no. Let's do this right. 
And so it gets passed on. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. And it goes on and on until we get down to Boaz, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Who again, you can look, read back in the book of Ruth about her faithfulness, though she was a Moabitess, she was a foreign woman, a widower. But because of her faithfulness, because of her desire to follow God, she gets included in this and her story gets woven right in here so that as you're going through this very boring genealogy, you start to see these stories play out and go, oh yeah, oh yeah. So that Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of David the king. And if you're familiar with your Old Testament history at all, you know that this is a who's who in the Bible, right? This list of names. You know pretty much all of these stories as you're going through. Because these are significant, important stories. And you follow that line as, as this promise to, to Abraham has been that he will be made into a great nation and kings will come from him. And then this, this, this is the answer right here. The fulfillment of the promise. Oh, I skipped Rahab. You guys let me skip Rahab? Come on. <laughs> Rahab was how they got back into the land. She gets included because that's how they got back into the land to, so that the promises could be fulfilled. Then we get to Ruth. Then we get to, the, to uh, David, the king. You see, what, what Matthew is doing here is he's painting this picture of the history He's threading the whole thing so that you can see the history of the promise of Abraham and as we begin to trace it through, where it's going. And after generations of waiting, the people in the land that God had promised to Abraham have a king who loves God. David. Kids, if I ask for a volunteer to draw me a picture of David, would somebody would be willing to do that? Okay, go ahead. You've already got David? Well, what are you giving it to me for? It's not done yet. You're supposed to raise your hand when you're done. Here's the promise to King David. 2 Samuel chapter 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Then verse 16. And your house 
and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Yeah, we knew it. God had made that promise to Abraham, and though it was touch and go for a little while there, now we've got a king. He's a righteous king. He's a king who loves God. He is in the right place. He's worshiping God. He wants to build God a house, and God makes him that same promise. Oh, you're going to be an awesome father. And kings, king after king after king, a king is going to reign from you, from your offspring, forever. Oh, yeah! What an awesome promise. How awesome to see God's people being blessed and thriving in His place with Him being their God. Incredible. And then we go on. We go on in the lineage. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Hold up. Already? How come David had a son by somebody else's wife? Somebody messed that up. Somebody got something wrong in here. Because that's not how the storyline is supposed to go. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. What happened here? We had this very nice ascendancy going where we had Abraham and the nation was building and everything was just looking up. And we hit this peak with David and things started to kind of fall apart a little bit. And it was okay under Solomon and then you start reading these other names and you go, hey, hey, whoa, hey, whoa. These are not the who's who that we want to have in the lineage anymore. Bunch of yay who's, how'd they get in here? You see, while in that first set we had this list of people who, to be sure, were not all perfect. We had this faithfulness that was moving things along. And now we have this list of sinners included in this line that you just go, how in God's sovereignty is he going to make this work? Because apparently if we leave it up to the men this is not going to work. 
In fact, things got so bad that as they crumbled, the whole nation gets destroyed, and we end with, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Okay, kids, here's a challenge for you. I need you to draw me a picture of the deportation to Babylon. What's a deportation? That's a good question. That means that a country came into Israel and took them and deported them. That means it they took them out of the land of Israel, God's promised place, and brought them to Babylon instead. So you have to draw a picture that depicts the people leaving Israel. Okay? Because that's what's happened here. We have this whole narrative that's going along, this whole build-up till we get to David, and then we have this whole decline until at some point you're going, okay, wait, time out. We did start with the promise to David, right? We did start with this promise. Can, can I just play back that tape from 2 Samuel chapter 7? I will raise up your up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. And now we've got no kingdom and no king. What we've got is a deportation and the people of God in Babylon. I hope there's more to this story. And there is. Because Jeremiah, one of the prophets, as Jerusalem is falling, as Israel is falling, and the deportation is beginning, and Jeremiah has been warning people this is what's going to happen, then he makes this promise. And normally I would go to Jeremiah chapter 31, and you, some of you are already turning there, but you didn't turn quite far enough. Jeremiah 33, starting in verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priests shall never lack a man in my presence to to offer burnt offerings and to burn offerings and to make sacrifices forever. Even as they're watching the deportation happen, Jeremiah says, and I want to remind you that God's covenant is still good. There's going to be an eternal king. There's going to be eternal priesthoods. God will make good on that. In fact, he goes on.
I should have brought up two stands. In fact, he goes on to say this. If you can break my covenant with the day and the night, so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David my servant and the Levitical priests who minister to me. These two offices, these two uh, groups that God anointed and chose and said, these will be for me, the priests will be for me, the kings will be for me, and he says, this is my eternal covenant. There will always be priest and there will always be a king. There will always be a priest to make a sacrifice for my people so that you can be my people and there will always be a king to rule them. So down in verse 25, thus says the Lord, if I have not established my covenant with the day and the night and the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David my servant will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes and I will have mercy on them. Even heading into the deportation, this is the promise. So that when you read these names then in, in Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 12, after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Okay, I need one more picture. I need a picture of Jesus. We go through all of these names and those, as you're thinking through the story, what happened after the deportation, you remember that they started coming back. God did some amazing things to allow His people to start making their way back into the land of Israel. And so the people started coming back into the land of Israel and they started rebuilding things and they started living there, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite the same. They, they had a temple. It wasn't quite the same as Solomon's temple, but they had a temple and there were some priests there. They, they had some people there, but they didn't have autonomy. They didn't have a king in place. It was like, we're expecting at some point this fulfillment of the promises of God through Jeremiah, the prophet, the promises of God through David, the king, the promises of God through Abraham, that father of this whole lineage. We're, we're, just, we're just not quite there yet. We're building, we're getting there. But there's this, 
this uneasiness, this unsettledness, this, this not quite content with the way things are. It's improving. We're getting there. It's building. God's people are here. There's some worship. But we don't have a king yet. We don't have a king yet. We don't have that chosen one. And so God's people are sitting there in Israel, waiting and praying that God will fulfill his promises. When? When, God? When will your kingdom come? When will your king reign? When will it happen? And Matthew is writing to those people. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He spent time walking with Jesus. He spent time learning from Jesus. And we'll hear more about his story in a little bit. But he is writing to people who are discontent with the way things are. These people who are waiting for God's king to come. And, G and Matthew says this, verse 16. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Jesus, who is called Christ. The Christ? The anointed one? God's chosen one? Is this it? Is this the time? Is the kingdom going to be here now? So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ was 14 generations. Welcome to the book of Matthew. The book about the restoration of the kingdom. The book that reveals the chosen one of God. This is Jesus. Jesus. 